Welcome back to Stat Chat, dishing it with D. Klatz. This is Dave Klatsky. This next guest, Dan Giroux, was, in my opinion, really entertaining. <clears throat> Lucky for us, the, the Cavs swept their last round against Toronto and had a week off, so Dan had time to uh, spend with me and, and talk a little bit about how in-depth the NBA gets with data and stats. And to me, this one is great because it's all so familiar. We all know the players that he's talking about. We all know the coaches that he's talking about. So while we think we know what we're talking about, we realize that the the staffs and the players, they really take this stuff seriously. And uh, I hope you guys enjoy it. I, I certainly did. And uh, now we can watch the Cavs with a little bit more insight into how they approach playoff games and, and just series in general. So uh, here we go. Time for another one. Have fun. Welcome back to Stat Chat. Uh, today we have a guest from the National Basketball Association. We have Dan Giroux from the Cleveland Cavaliers. Dan has spent time as an assistant at both Princeton University and Campbell University before uh, accepting a job with the Cavaliers, where he's currently the assistant player development coach and slash the assistant video coordinator. Uh, so, Dan, welcome to the show. How is it going today for you guys over there in Cleveland? Thanks for having me on, Dave. Uh, we're doing uh, we're doing pretty well. We got a couple uh, couple of recipes after we took care of. Uh, took care of the Raptors, which was a, a, a tighter series than the, than the scores say. We were very, very nervous going into that one because they made a lot of, a lot of adjustments during the regular season to, to play against us. So we're, we're happy to get that, to get that done and, and then advance to the next round, which is the Eastern Conference Finals. So we're awaiting our opponent right now. You sound just like a coach saying that winning by 20 every game was tough. But anyway, uh, if you wouldn't mind, can you explain a little bit about what your role is and, and what you specifically do with advanced statistics with, to help the Cavs out? Sure. So uh, my primary role would be to I'm, – I'm the assistant to our defensive coordinator, who is uh, Mike Longabardi. Been in the league for a long time. He was – a video guy for Jeff Van Gundy in Houston, and then he went to Boston and um, kind of assisted Tom Thibodeau with the with the same idea that kind of what I'm doing now, um, helping when need be, but mostly just learning, listening, and and really being there to, to plug holes when necessary um, in terms of defensive scouting and game planning. Uh, we have every scout, so Mike Longobardi does every, all 82 scouts, the regular season, and then obviously for our playoff opponents, we we dig deep, and, and throughout the whole season, that's when we use our advanced statistics a, a lot more defensively than offensively uh, during the regular season. So I'm able to use them and and create help create game plans, and and furthermore, as we get into the playoffs, it gets very very detailed, and that's when a lot of our data shows up, and obviously our team's built more for the playoffs, so we. Uh, you know, that's when we really crank it up and, and begin to use them a little bit more, tell the guys a little more, uh, and really start to lock in that way. And then uh, my secondary job 
is to work the players out individually on the court. Um, and I use – that's kind of like my own my own deal in a way. I mean, I'm assisting our head of player development, but it's nice to have, have some of my own players and, and use advanced stats on that end, uh, kind of individually how I see fit with different players and, and how certain guys respond to it and certain guys don't respond to it. <laughs> Okay, now, now going back to the the first thing, um, mm-hmm. can you can you give us some examples on the detail that will go into the game preparation uh, for regular season or playoff, really? Yeah, so I guess the easiest thing probably to start regular season. Um, that's mostly pick and roll coverages. Um, it's mostly you know depending on who you play, uh, just because it's fresh on my mind playing Paul George. We get a lot of his catch-and-shoot numbers when he's coming off pin-downs, all different types. And I think as you're building your defensive game plan, you're taking a look. And in the regular season, the way we believe it, it's more about us and what we do. So we try and establish our rules. We try and establish our reads because, you know, when you have four games and five nights, the guys aren't going to remember. Heck, we don't even remember some of the coverages we're supposed to be in. It's it's a lot, and, and you got to, you know, you, you're dealing with so many different teams, and you can't be so specific per game. So sure, it's more it's more an overarching thing with us. Um, and then as the as the season goes on, as as we all know, there's some some games are bigger than others. So and then depending on our on our days of rest and on our schedule. Some games you really dig in and, and try and do more, um, we call them playoff scouts. We try and do more in-depth things where we try and we try some things out to see how we do on them. And um, Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't, but for the what most is, part. What does that mean? Like, Give me an example of something uh, in, in yeah, like so that you may try. I would say like trapping a pick and roll, or, you know, trapping a, a player off a pick and roll. Um, we call it a top lock where you don't let it, you don't let a premier player come off pin downs. You try and force them to, to go off the other side of the court. Um, and those are things that are very playoff specific. So when you get in a series and you're dealing with a team for what you think will be seven games, you know, you got, you, you have these, these things that you've already built into your defense. And although, you know, sometimes they're not as successful as you'd like them to be. Because you're so worried about your normal uh, rules and, and your normal reads on defense and on offense as well, you, you know, you kind of lose it a little bit. But for the most part, um, that's the way we kind of implement our defense throughout the year. Um, so it's good to use the advanced stats. And, I mean, in the NBA, they track everything. <laughs> so it, Yeah, it, so it, like, it, you, it, you're talking about Paul George a little bit, and obviously he's a really good player. Um, yeah. What is something that like you would do different against him that you might do against? Uh, I don't. I don't even know another like uh, you know JJ Redick or coming yeah. off a pin down or something like that. Yeah, no, that, that's perfect actually. Because when we're so when we're playing the Clippers during the regular season, um, well, the away game we rested, but the home game was a good one. We uh, we were able to to try and, and top lock him. So with a guy like J.J. Redick, you don't want him to ever get a read off a of pin down. So all the numbers suggest that as well. <laughs> that's when he yeah. gets the highest percentage. If he if you lock and trail him, that's when he gets fouled the most. If you uh, if you also shoot the gap, that's when he makes the most. So 
when what we try to do is it's called a top lock, so we don't let them go off that side of the floor. Now, obviously, they have all their reads built in, so when we top lock, we see what they go to and so on and so forth. But then when I got like Paul George, during the regular season, to be honest, because he's in the East, you try you don't throw everything at him. So we basically went through it, tried a couple different things with him, uh, some different some different uh, isolation defenses where we we tilt the floor, so we come over with help without any screens. Um, on pin downs, we will with him we lock and trailed, and then we help with the big a lot. But we called it like um, we call it with our two slides rule. So he basically just helps, helps, and then gets back to his man. And then all the numbers during the as we did as we dug in and they were our first round opponent, the numbers suggested um, to blitz him and or you know to trap him off pin downs, which we hadn't really done for most of the year to anybody. And uh, we implemented it. So that, that's it coming with the uh, uh, with the screener and the lock and trail guy. So as he catches it, or do you not even let him catch the ball? No, he, as he catches that, it, yeah. So as he catches it, the, the screener's man is kind of flying at him, getting it out of his hands. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's almost when he catches it, he should he should see two bodies, and he should know that he's not going to be able to just get anything off right there. So he's gonna he's gonna hit. Um, you know, at, at, for most of their pin downs, it's Miles Turner, and that was one of the cool parts of the event stats. And that's one of the cool parts of of the NBA deal with the playoffs. You know, then we then we learn Miles Turner has this percentage of rolls versus pops versus or with Paul George's pin downs. So you start to get really, really detailed, and you start to get really into that kind of stuff. And that's the stuff that we discuss, you know, game plan wise, and, and going into a series because, you know, you have to you got to put something up there, especially with our guys that we have. And one guy's got a really, really high basketball IQ, so you got to you got to really, <laughs> really appease him. <laughs> and he's now, now who, who's um, who's tracking? All this, like you say in the playoffs, you, you, we can now read the, the rolls versus pops. Is that like something specifically that you'll do when you're watching film or with your coach, or is there a service? Yeah, so it's a little that? bit of a, it's a little combination. We we have a there's a software in all NBA arenas that they they track um they track every really that's where a lot of the data comes from because they track everything on the court. They uh that's the sports VU that's that's, that's sports the VU, sport that's, VU yeah and it's called yeah. second spectrum as well. They they have a they have a lot of the data output. So basically they're going through and and they they have their technology is is built in to to also read like blitzes and read shows, you know, hard hedges. They read drops so just by player position. Now so obviously there's a little room for error. But over the course of the year, all that data for 82 games, you know, you're going to go with them more often than not because they they they, they have a good idea, you know, a 95% rate of 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 correct um, coverages. Right. So I right. think uh, I think that's where that's where we get a lot of our data from. And then obviously you have some more time to prepare for the playoffs. So we'll then go through and it's a it's a it's a really great software they have for us. And we just go through and a little bit like synergy where you can pick, um, you know, Paul George's catch and shoot plays or pin down plays or pick and roll plays. And then we're able to break that down video wise 
Uh, and we track it a little bit manually here and there, but for the most part, uh, it's that data output from Second Spectrum. Okay, so now, so now you get all this data. Um, you and the, the staff kind of figures out the different ways, the best ways to guard somebody. Now, what's the next step? So obviously you guys have LeBron James, who's one of the smartest mm-hmm. players ever to play. How are you guys getting this information across to the players? What's the go between between knowing it and getting it across? Yeah, that's why that's why Ty makes all that money. <laughs> yeah, is he is he a big stat so, guy? Is he? Uh... Yeah, so I think one of the one of the undervalued things of uh, of Ty Lu is he's kind of like a geek a little bit. <laughs> like he gets really? he gets all he gets all the information. He gets he loves hoops. That's the one thing. I, that's the one thing that's unbelievable to be around him is he just loves basketball talks about it all the time all these different ideas all these different approaches um his mentality through the season like it, it's really amazing to be to be around him and uh and this year really be be in on the on those thoughts and those ideas has i mean been unbelievable for me just to listen and, and be a fly on the wall really as i'm sitting sure. there next to him um so that's his biggest thing is his connectivity with the players is is really unparalleled. Um, you know, obviously he learned from Doc Rivers in Boston, and he played for him a little bit in Orlando, and he 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 liked Doc's approach, but then he also has a little bit of the Phil Jackson the championship pedigree with those with, with those two teams uh, in LA. He he left right after the they they went back to back, and then he left before the three peat. But so he has a little bit of these ideas of how to connect with the guys, how to do certain things. So some days it is as much as asking Bron and asking JR or Shump, you know, you guys are going to be the primary defenders on Paul George, DeMar DeRozan. What do you think about this? How do you see this? And then some days it is as much, you know, last year in the finals, he switched it up game three. He switched our coverages on on certain things where, he let them pick their own coverage to start, and then he switched it up in game three. Obviously, we, we, we did pretty well in game three and lost game four. And it's all about his connectivity. That's that's the great part of, of being on this staff. Um, so it just goes up the food chain, really, in, in our the way we communicate with each other. And then, obviously, he's he's the final say. And when he's on the and court. How much, how much of yeah. what he is, is communicating is stat-based, or is it, like, will he say to those three, hey, look, the numbers are saying uh, we got a top lock, uh, Paul George, but I know you're you're a little bit more comfortable locking in Trent. Like, uh, mm-hmm. Or is it just like, hey, uh, I think you should top lock because I've watched film and, you know, how much of it is numbers based no, or how much of it is I, just like a trust factor of that they have in him? Yeah, I think it's probably, it's a little combination of, Against Paul George, that was a very elaborate game plan for us because we hadn't done it really all year. So a lot of guys right. had some questions. So I think that was about, you know, the way he approached it was, well, the numbers say Miles Turner really he's going to pop a lot, you know. And then I and then he goes, well, then I watched I've watched all the picking or the, you know I watched all the pin downs and the most success teams have had is when they try and you know teams were trying to show out you know, show hard, like almost like a hard hedge on the pin down. And then they were trying to get back to Turner. Well, we just blitzed and then did like a full rotation of Turner. So 
that was based upon the stats. And then he was able to say to them, like, yeah, this is what the numbers say. This is what the video says. So this is why I, I think this is the right way to do it. And then, you know, that, that's, that's respectful enough. And they know when he has that type of belief in it, um, you know, it goes that way. And he does the same thing when the numbers – he thinks the numbers lie sometimes. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. you know how it is as a coach. You know, you believe in some things. And uh, sometimes it burns you, sometimes it doesn't. But I think that's the, that's the great part of him uh, with the advanced and, stats metrics is he uses all the information, you know, and then he makes a decision off that kind of stuff. Right. And who's, who's most receptive and who's least receptive? I would say, uh, player wise or coach wise? Player wise. Player wise. We, we yeah, don't know player all the coaches, wise. So player wise, we all know all the players. <laughs> <laughs> um, player wise, you know, I think in an, in an argument standpoint, you know, bronze, bronze terrific in understanding. Um, I think you better, you better be right. You know what I mean? You, you got to believe in what you're saying. You got to have some conviction yeah. behind what you're saying. Um, some guys don't don't necessarily, you know, if you bring up numbers, they they go away a little bit. But then you can you know you can kind of bring them back by mentioning their numbers. You know, I think that that's an always an interesting point of uh, of NBA players is you know you bring up numbers of one guy. So say we're talking about Miles Turner because just because he's fresh in our minds. So we talk about him, and they're like, oh, man, of course he always pops. And then you kind of look at Caleb, and you're like, well, you always pop. <laughs> and it's kind of like <laughs> – so then it's kind of like, oh, yeah, that's true. Okay, okay. So I think there's a, there's a, there's a little bit of – if you say it with a little bit of conviction and you have an ability to, to understand where, where you're coming from and being able to connect with them, I think, I think they go for it because they, they understand uh, – you know, they understand the metrics. You know, they understand what – what we do on our end and they respect it. Uh, and they, I think they, some days they don't like to hear it as much, you know, but I think in the playoffs is when you get to see, uh, guys really lock in and, and, and have more of the ability or even just the, the patience to understand, you know, during the, during the playoffs. Yeah, yeah for sure. For sure. So getting back to your other point, um, uh, you talked about how you will player development and, and how you'll use stats to kind of use to do some of the drills and things you work on with them. Can you elaborate on what exactly that means? Yeah, so I think this can this can go a little like twofold. So the first one is obviously the simple things of percentage of you know I work with Channing Fry a, a whole lot and uh, you know percentage of shots from the left corner, right corner, three-pointers, to percentage of shots from the top of the key, percentage of his pull-ups going right or left. And he, he loves that stuff, you know. And then this year we got really deep into teams loved it because when we acquired Corver, who's also a pretty good shooter, <laughs> when, we acquired, when, we, when we got him, you put those two together and teams had a hard time early on figuring out how to guard those two. So then teams just started switching it. Well, then we had to we had to go deeper into stats about. So I went back to some of Channing's earlier seasons when he was with the Knicks, a little bit with the Suns when he was playing that with D'Antonian. You know, we had to really dig into where his post-ups came from, what was the most successful post-up block, successful post-up shoulder. It, it, you know, it got it got very deep because because he was feeling it, you know, you, you get a guard switched on you and you, you can't score down there and 
you know, we got we got some uh, wealthy eyes looking at you. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. that uh, that kind of messed them a little bit. So we had to dig deep, and I showed them some things, and I showed them some old clips. So really, I did the advanced the advanced stats work on that end. You know, w- with our analytics team. Just and trying then, to give him confidence of what he was exactly. good at before, and and then work exactly. on that a little bit. Yeah, gotcha. and then gotcha. and then let him know that when they switch, this should be your go-to move. This should be your secondary move, and that's it. Got a six-four guy on you. You're seven feet. We don't need you to bully him. We need you to just get to your shot. And this is, and then you go back, and you know we're looking at New York Nick days with with uh, Larry Brown as the head coach, and they're posting Channing and they're ducking him in, and I'm just laughing because this isn't the guy that I know at all. I'm just like, oh man, yeah. I didn't even know this. I didn't even know this data existed on you. <laughs> So, so, it was, so uh, that, that that was good for me. Uh, I just uh, so, so basically, you're saying um, a guy like Channing Fry, NBA player, you're trying to keep him the simple moves. Two moves, you said. <laughs> this is yeah. what move you do against a switch, and this is the move against somebody your own size. It's that yes. simple, huh? Like you know he's good at it. People know it's coming, and you can still score with those simple moves. Yeah, and is that's, that what I'm hearing. <laughs> Yeah, no question. I mean, that's that's our deal all the time. We never here. Here's the thing with our team they they can do they can do a lot of stuff out there. These guys are super talented. We pay them a lot of money. They can do it. Yep. They can do whatever they want out there. You know what I mean? And and they're probably gonna be pretty successful. But we're at our best. It's kind of us being obsessed with we call it simple slash boring basketball. Yeah, it's boring to you because you're so talented. You can do a lot of things out there. You know, Channing, you could, if you post up a 6'4 guy, you probably could back him down or face him up and, and get to your step backs. We don't really need that. <laughs> well, that's, not, yeah. that's not what we're building towards. And I think that kind of idea of simplicity is where we try and we try and live, for the most part, with, with a high percentage of our players. Now, some guys don't like it as much. You know, some guys, they get paid a lot and they don't want to just be stuck in their role. And I, and I get that. But the other part of it is when we're trying, we're trying to reach. Um, a lot of guys give in this time of the year on on that kind of stuff. And uh, so yeah, I mean, simplicity is is gold for us because it makes sure, things a lot easier, sure. makes our reads easier, and the offense we run is very free flowing and obviously uh, extremely talent based. But it's more chess for us. We put guys in certain situations, and it's really to make because we've seen. Okay, Richard Jefferson, when he plays with Corver and Channing Fry, he's got to be in the corner because surprisingly his three-point corner percentage is better than Channing's. So we set him there, and then we put Channing on the wing and Corver in the other corner. You know, and that's that's the kind of stuff we dig into as as we get these assets and we get these we get these players via trade or free agency. So that that's been the interesting part how, of this how, year. How how you says so you say you dig into that like what how. Like, what numbers show you just, like, obviously Corver shoots better than Fry, uh, but he shoots better than Fry pretty much at every spot. So, yeah. what, why, like, how how does that so work? Like, so what, what we numbers do is, you seeing? yeah, so we you got to take into effect, and this is this is where Ty is, this is where Ty really, you know, he separates himself in my mind. I've, I've you know, I've only been around a couple coaches in, in a little while, but, I think he separates himself because so he looks at those numbers. He he sees all these, you know, where Channing gets most of his threes from in his career. And then he'll go back and 
Same thing with Corver. He knows Corver gets a lot of threes in transition off wide pin downs. Well, that's what we implemented when he got here, you know, because he likes certain spots yeah. on the floor. He, he likes to go left to right more than right to left, but you're right. He can go right to left just as good as he can left to right. <laughs> but yeah. he just likes it a little more, and that's the connectivity part and the, the uh, connectivity piece in that, listen, you tell me what you like. I got a lot of playmakers out here, and – now we can kind of figure out how how to how to implement that into this offense, and it's the same deal with you know Richard Jefferson. Obviously, this was one of his uh, well, it, you know, he had a bad shooting year, but the other deal was beginning of the year his numbers were were really bad pre All Star break because there was there was no role for him. We, we we just had him out there and, and helping us in a, in a defensive capacity. And when it was time to get a shot, you got a shot. And then his numbers went way up when we acquired all our pieces, got our post all-star break legs under us. And his, he was shooting, I think, close to 40% from three at that point. And it was just, you got to put these guys in those situations because although it's crazy, they need, they need that confidence as much as anybody. Right. Right. Now, you've been there. This is your second year or third year? Second year here, yeah. Second year. So I guess last year was similar, but like, the Cavs have taken a huge step over the last, I would say, since LeBron got there, of yeah. really firing threes. So obviously, yeah. teams are trying to get more threes, more catch and shoot mm-hmm. threes. But the Cavs are now up there, if I'm not mistaken, like the Rockets blow everybody up, but you know, yeah. they're close to top three or four in three point attempts. You know, the percentage of three pointers yes. taken. Has that been a a uh, a target of the front office is that ty is that lebron like what is something changed or is it just the personnel well can you do you have any idea in the insight of of that yeah you know what i think it, it it stems from the way the league's changing um and it wasn't just you know this was obviously pre d'antoni houston this year's onslaught of threes was i mean it's amazing and we're watching it you know in this series as well they're they're, they're just hoisting them up and it was pre that it's more in terms of, I think when Brown was in Miami, you saw how, how dominant they were with all the playmaking and slashing and the athleticism. And I think when he got here, it was seen as, okay, who can we acquire as a big man that can shoot? And that's when they did a great job of, of getting Kevin Love for, for the Wiggins deal and um, yep, yep. setting setting a piece there. And then I really think as the Warriors kind of went their way with this, this, they, they, they're an onslaught of makes, not just, not just the attempts. So right, as, they, right. as, as, as they up the ante there, and I, I, I'm telling you, I think that, that, that year when LeBron came back here and they lost 4-2 and they were up 2-1 and the Warriors go small with Iguodala and they, uh, they, they bench Bogut, I think that's when, it was seen as obviously Love and Kyrie were out, but it was also seen as man, there's just not enough shooting up here. For you know, we're playing through Brown in the post, and he don't want to do that, or you know, he doesn't. He can do it, but the other part is like if he's on the post, we got to have somebody. We got to space the floor. And right. I think as as that kind of idea has grown and, and prospered in the front office's mind, as well as LeBron's, and as well as Ty's. I think it all just kept coming back to, man, this 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 is something. You know, we trade Varajal last year, and we get Channing Fry, and, and he comes in, and 
you know, within his first couple of games, he, he makes six threes and his joke was like, man, you guys, you guys seem a little upset. We're wide open all the time. <laughs> and I think, I think that was kind of the idea that the front office had, but obviously didn't want to just put out there in public that, oh yeah, of course we just want to shoot more threes. But then you look at our right. stats from game four against Toronto and 50% of our shots are threes. So let me get this straight. Are you are you saying that the reason the Cavs may have won last year was because of the three point shooting and not the addition of Dan Jarreau? Is that what you're saying? Because to me, you quote me on against the Warriors. You you can quote me on that one. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So now now moving a little deeper into that, like yeah. So yes, you they they got guys that can shoot. How how are they getting, like, how are they, you know, obviously having a guy like LeBron freeze things up, but is there any strategy uh, X and O wise to get more threes, to get more catch and shoot threes and layups? Is there anything that is stressed or anything like that? Yeah, I think it's less about the the stress of it and more of in our reads, in our, in our situations, whenever we have after timeout plays, uh, beginning of quarter plays, um, even a lot of our, we have certain plays with certain rotations and units that we play. I, I've seen a big change this year in, yeah, what are you doing slipping the basket there? You know, from the coaching staff, from the players, from, you know, if JR is setting a pin down for Channing, which can happen, and that's why we're so versatile. We got a 6'6 six, six guy setting a pin down for a 7-foot guy, and both can make the shot. So, he sets it and slips, and it's like, no, no, no. You set it, and you go corner as Channing's coming wing, and now we're hunting three. You know, we're hunting threes at that point right, because the right. other the other deal of it, you know, it's a little bit of a let me put my hand above my head, and then I'm going to punch you with the other hand. Because then, as you're worried about that, well, now we got we got 23 going down the lane one on one, and and really right. being at the rim because your center is usually on our seven footer that can shoot threes. Same idea when Tristan plays. When Tristan's in there, we put him weak side a lot because it makes a simpler read for LeBron. But then you have Kyrie spotting up in the corner, Kevin in, in on his own little we call it like his own little island, the wing to the corner, and then Jr. at the wing. Well, as Bron drives after a certain action, you got to make a decision, and that's where the simple the simplicity of basketball. That's why we always say to our guys like, don't get bored with the simple because. That's a hell of an offense right there. <laughs> Getting downhill and, with and him. How, mu- how much like so so Tristan Thompson's a great example, a guy that can't shoot threes but is mm-hmm. extremely valuable to that team. Yeah. What what is like what do they make what do they make his role or what do they tell him uh on offense? Because he's not a guy that's ever gonna get a play call for him. So yeah. what, what are they so, telling him? Yeah, and and you know when I got here even just this last year when I first got here in August, he really couldn't – he wasn't terrific at necessarily having the ball in his in his hands for, for, a, for a one dribble play, you know, a layup or a pass. And as, as time went on and he got more comfortable with his team, with teams trapping LeBron or trapping Kyrie off pick and rolls or going to double Kevin in the post – Tristan's really done a great job in like in really his basketball IQ, his sense for the game. He is able to 
to get to space where he can be available for the ball because it's usually his man going to double, you know, to go to your point about obviously he can, yeah. he's not an offensive threat, you know what I mean? And, and we we hit that head on with him. So he goes to these certain these certain spots, and then from there we really just give him give him quick reads, you know, one dribble floaters, one dribble kick out, one dribble dunk, you know, and and it's really the same deal when he he's made some plays this year where he catches the ball, he's a screener, he rolls, catches the ball, one dribble, and he's at the he does like almost an in and out move to the rim, and we're all like, oh, you know, don't do that again. <laughs> but the other deal is like he's been able to he's been able to mature as a player and be able to see his role offensively as that, where from what I've heard before I got here, he was trying to like post up and it's like, not, you know, that's not his game. He, he, he can't do that. So it's really being that secondary, not even secondary, third or fourth option whenever he's out there and just being capable, you know? So when we ask him to do certain things um, last year against Toronto, they did a, a, a pretty good coverage on us. Um, with LeBron posting up and we really had to move Tristan around. Basically we, we brought him up to the elbow instead of being in a dunker. And then Biombo, who they had last year, couldn't help as much. So Bron had an ISO, but then if, if Biombo were to go, then Tristan goes right to like basically right in front of the free throw line. And then we had to teach him reads and teach him what to look for there. And that's the same deal. Like Toronto looked at our advanced stats and knew they knew that, you know, we have, Tristan has a little trouble when when this certain action happens, and and there's a guy there's a guy on him in the dunker. He he has trouble. So right, it, it's right. been interesting to see that that kind of development through through the stats, and then obviously with the players doing it as well. Now now going back to defense, your your specialty here. Uh, same question: How are you preventing catch and shoot threes, layups, and obviously fouling is is kind of self-explanatory but uh what 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 has changed to you know obviously not allow the the best shots in the game yeah and you know that, that's a tough part because guys are getting so good offensive offensive minds are getting good and i think they're putting their worst shooters in the corners which is obviously the best shot you know the corner three is the the, the most that's the and they're putting their did you makes. say worst shooters? They're, they're putting well, their worst say, shooters in say, the corner. Yeah, say you're having in terms of if you have to make a choice between your three shooters that that you believe are like so we just played PJ Tucker. Well, they put him in the corner all the time because he's a he's a really good corner catch and shoot guy. But if you get him above the break or or to the wing, you, you know he he's he it goes down about I think it's twelve twelve yeah. percent, and that, that's more. You'd be surprised. It's way more. It's way more common. Guys that below the break threes versus. I tell you what, man. You get about that break. It's far, Dave. It's, I know. It's a far shot. I know, far shot. I know it. So, I know. A little out of my so range. Like, uh, no <laughs> doubt, man. It took me a little bit to bend my knees. Even a little. I was like, oh, man, I haven't done this in a while. Don't hurt yourself shooting threes out there, Dan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think. Uh, when you're putting it together a defensive game plan, it's huge. And, and this goes regular season as well. You really try and and lock in on where they're putting their, their certain players. So if the four-man is a shooting four and he's often on the wing, well, we got to come up with a little bit of, of a different weak side rotation and weak side help because we're used to having the fours either in the dunker or in the corner. You know, but now if you have a dead, you know, Kevin Love, we often put above the, we put him at the wing because you're going to make that 
that four man make a decision defensively. And that's where I think it gets very intricate with the stats. Um, so you got to come up with different game plans and you got to come up not to hide guys, but almost to, to just put your guys in, in the right situations just over and over and over again. There's so many possessions that that's what you're hoping for. You just wear down a team uh, with your game plan and, and with your approach. Um, now, now you're, so, you're back to talking offense. So I, I'm, I, how, how can we talk defense and how to limit, um, you know, is there any strategy, like overarching strategy or emphasis that can limit threes? Like I, I'm just thinking pick and rolls and, yeah, so what you know, we you're do talking is, about downstream. You know, say, say it's a, uh, you know, say it's, let's just pick a shooter. Who we well, um, So against Indiana, C.J. Miles, we did a great job of, of not – of limiting his threes, and that was basically we whatever pick and rolls happen top of the floor, or if we were say you know how we were trapping Paul George off the pin down. Mm-hmm. So C.J. Miles' man was not responsible for any help, so we just kept him glued. Now, obviously, during the course of during the uh, course of the game, you know how it is temptation you give in, and sometimes you're lazy. So the biggest thing to us though, was the mentality of our players in that. When a when a shot came when a when a shot or a pass went over to CJ Miles and a shot was available, we were flying at him and making him put it on the floor because that's our other deal. Great shooters in the NBA, on average, their percentages drop. Uh, it's a, it's around twelve percent with the certain guys that shoot over forty. They drop twelve percent when they got to put the ball on the floor. So and that's just, wow. you know, that's even on reload threes. You know what I mean? It's the same idea. But when they got to put it on there, it's just different. It's a different read. It's a different feeling. So our deal with guys like that, same thing with Patrick Patterson. We just played him, and they really couldn't even play him in the Toronto series. But our whole deal with him was also fly at him and do not let him go right. So if you're gonna, we're flying at him on his right shoulder every time and make him go left. So when you have those – go ahead. And I was going to say, and then you have the numbers to back up that him yeah. going left is way worse than him going right. Yeah, how about this? Patrick Patterson drives right 91% of the time. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> wow. There, there, there we got a guy like that, that on our team, and he still gets right. Patrick <laughs> so Patterson's some, making a nice living. So. <laughs> There's something to it. He's making a good living, and he keeps going right. No, you're right about that. <laughs> wow. So I think wow. that that's the intricate part that that's fun about the NBA, and you have all this data and you have all this information. Um, and yeah, on our defensive end, I think as we get through that, and even this is the one thing um, regular season wise that we that we do a lot. We we kind of we chart expected points per shot. So when we go through a game, and we feel like we're giving up a lot of open threes, we also you know, and we feel like they're more in rhythm or we feel, you know how it is as a coach. You feel momentum. You got bias in the game. You're not liking how one guy's playing. You're you're loving how another guy's playing. Well, then you go back and watch the film and you're like, oh, man, you know, it wasn't as good as I thought or it wasn't as bad as I thought. Well, then we also have these this output of, of data we that we use. We call it like a game chart, and, and that is the expected points per, per shot. So it doesn't even include the actual – result of the play it's just all expected so you get to see what type of shots you're getting versus the type of shots they're getting and then as you get as you as you go through the the chart and you look at the 
you look at the substitution patterns and things like that, then you start to see how it really went as opposed to how you really felt. You know what I mean? I, I, lo- I absolutely love that stat because it's it's it just goes back to something I've talked about over and over, but it's about process, not result. And if you yes. do things the right way enough, it's going to pay off. Now, now, my question to you would be, that data, so like uh, LeBron comes up in transition, dribbling with his left hand and shoots a above-the-break three. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm, you, you probably you know that off the top of your head what that is his expected points per shot one, on that one, 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 1.1 on that one he's, he's done it was on the left side of the floor 1.2 but on the right side 1.1 I know that so that's high <laughs> that's actually a good shot that's a good no, shot it's a, yeah it's a good shot it's a good yeah. shot for us we love so, we love 1.2 that's our biggest thing we always love 1.2s 1.2s are good 1.2s yeah they're the best that's, that, that's the line that's the barometer those are that's a good shot bad shot we had to make a barometer because too many guys that had a lot of opinions on what to do so we made a barometer good shot bad shot <laughs> Now, now, who um is that from the league that that's that like those things are available like cause you no, that's you, our every same, player on every that, team. That's that same sport view second spectrum okay, data so, output. So they, what they do they send the best, that out to you. Okay. Yeah, the best thing no, I love that they sorry. do is that it's so personnel based. So it goes, it tracks a, a man's defense throughout the year. So they know if he's at five feet away from, say it's Kawhi Leonard, and and Kawhi Leonard is a 48% uh, shooter from the corner. Well, they know if it's Amon Shumpert, when he's five to seven, five feet or further away, he can't affect a shot. So that all of a sudden translates into Kawhi Leonard that shot becoming a one a 1.5 from the corner because Shumpert's not close enough. Now if Shumpert's closer, and he can test Kawhi from the corner. That goes down to one point one. So that's what I love about the expected points per shot. They're really taking into effect everything. So, so that data does include how close you are to the shooter. Yes. And who is yes. and who is it that's and who it is and, and the, yeah, because of their length and their size and that kind of stuff. So that's where they get. And I've seen numbers like this online for the NBA, which obviously in college we we can't get. But yeah, uh, guys that are. You know, if you're within three feet of Dwight Howard, you know, they call it the Dwight Howard effect five years mm-hmm. ago. I don't know who the guy is now, but uh, mm-hmm. that if he was even around you, your your percentage was like the lowest in the league. Yeah, uh, yeah, it goes he down. Was, yep. He was that valuable. Uh, I don't who's who's the guy now that, like, defensively, if he's near you, um, go bear. you're just way lower. Go, go, go bear in Utah. He's scary. <laughs> he makes it scary yeah. out there. <laughs> Guys get a little nervous. They, they try and find out where he's at. But I think that's one of the coolest parts of of our stat stuff is because because you know our got our just a little sample we played Toronto game four Kyrie's kind of putting team on his back at the end at the end of the game and he hadn't played a, a terrific all around game throughout but he's doing a great job he comes down in transition we set up a, we set him a quick little drag uh, Abaka's way down the floor he shoots a three. With about 17, 16 on the shot clock, I think I think is what it was. And you know, I, I as we looked back upon it, we were all like, "Man, you know, that was that was a bad shot." And in my mind, I was like, eh, "You know, the game chart might not say that." <laughs> and then uh, right, LeBron, right. LeBron, LeBron made the three as like the dagger three. Like he went like right to left between the legs, then left to right between the legs, and shot a three <laughs> over PJ Tucker. 
and he drilled it, and it was like, oh, man. Like, we were all like, yeah, like, that's the king, you know? But at the end of the day, we went back, and LeBron's was a .9, and Kyrie's was a a 1.3. So I was like, I'm okay with Kyrie. He was open. Like, he he had a good idea of what was going on, and that's the kind of stuff that that changes the bias. And, you know, you try and take that out, especially at our level, because there's so much data. There's so much – there's so many games. Um it's just, you know, you, you're going to be emotional, you're going to be biased, but the deal is that you can really logically and exactly like you said, be process-driven, not results-driven, you're going to come out on top more often than, than, than not being that way. Yeah, that's my belief as well. Now, now one point, so I'm just thinking about this, that's the mm-hmm. barometer, huh? Like, what the, the top team in the NBA, what is their points per possession? You know, uh, the points it, of possession, it, it would be. I, I think it's like who's the top, like one point one something, isn't it? I think it. Would, yeah, it's um, going to be. It's probably going to be Houston, just because of the threes. And I think they're just they're like one point. It's just around one point one or just under, if I'm not mistaken. So shouldn't that be the barometer, or are you are you saying because transition and dunks and are so high that? You know, you're talking shots in the flow of the game, so it has to be a little higher. Is that is that yeah, what you're I think saying? Like because what? we take it now. If I were to go through a game, I would say, like we used to do this at Princeton. If we were one point per possession and the other team was point nine five for the season, that's like a twenty five win team or a twenty plus win team for sure, but close to twenty five wins. If what you're we that do is, you're saying, if you're yeah, saying if you're, you're a team yeah. that can hold a team to point nine five and on the opposite end score over a point per possession then or be at one point per possession, then you're you're gonna win twenty plus games in college. And that's what we always used I, that that really stuck with me and resonated. So my deal was like, yeah, our because the NBA's changed so much, it's almost like can we be one point one or one point eight sorry sorry, one point oh eight and then can the other team be one point oh? Then we're probably gonna win fifty games. And I, I think that's right where right. we were around that uh that point per possession total. Um, but I think in terms of evaluating shot by shot in terms of the game, if you do 1.1, it's tough because a lot of these guys are are, are so good that it's kind of it, – some of the shots that we saw during the season, you'd look at it and be like, there's no way that's a 1.1. You know, but it would be <laughs> right, right. Kevin Love. You're giving yourself a little left. bias. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? You're giving yourself a little leeway. I got you. Yeah, exactly. So with you. the 1.2, it, it made it more of the barometer of like, okay, I, I get it, you know? And what is the player's thing? Like, is this something in practice? Like, they'll be running down court saying, like, oh, that's a 1.4 coach. Or, or is they not even know it's more coaching. <laughs> I think they, uh, they get told it. Like every once in a while, you know that's what I would say. Like they, they get, they get told, but they're not interested in that, in that detail of the stat. That's what I would say. Right. They're not interested in that that much of a of a detail to think that way. But I think it's good. So it's more like that, it's more like Ty or one of the coaches will say that's not a good shot. Not that's not a good shot because it's a point nine shot. Like you, yeah, they don't exactly. need to hear that. They just need just like we coach yeah. our guys like. That's not a good exactly. shot. You don't need to go good into shot detail. Yeah. And I think one of the cool things of, of going through the coaching side of it with that idea of the expected points per shot, it is like when Shump shoots a wing three off a two-dribble dribble move, we all know, we've all seen it and seen it on the chart that it's a 
whatever, point seven shot. It's like, <laughs> jump, you just can't do You know what I mean? And whereas, right. like, whereas right. one drill pull up is a 1.2, it's like, that's what we're trying to get to more often. You know, we're, we're at the beginning of the year. That's the crazy part with the, with the expected points per shot. Like beginning of the year, he was making his pull up threes and it was like, well, we gotta, we gotta live with it right now. <laughs> Cause, yeah. Cause yeah. It, you know, they're, they're actually, they're going in and he, he worked on his game and that's where he's at. But at the end of the day, it started to come back down and, and that's where we, you know, that's where we ended with, but that's where I think he, I think that's a good part of, of seeing all the, all the stats, seeing all the data, because then as you go out on the court, you have that information and that, that's all you want. You want to have the information. You want to understand where it's coming from. And then you got to do your own, your own deal of understanding and connecting with your players to, to implement it. Sure. Sure. Well, well, I know you guys uh, got a couple of days off here while we wait for the Boston uh, wizard finale, but I really appreciate you taking, uh, taking the time here giving us some NBA insight. This is obviously way different than the college level, just on the information. Uh, I don't yeah. think we can replicate this, but it is nice to know what is out there uh, for for basketball enthusiasts like myself. Um, yeah. So I, 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 think, I, wish, uh, I, I think one of the biggest parts of, like, the, uh, you know, if I, if I were to go back to college, it's like you can implement this stuff in terms of the, the mindset of, you know, thinking about it in terms of, well, what what is that expected points per shot? You know, when my point guard gets in there and shoots a floater versus a pull up, is he better at floaters? You know what I mean? I think it starts to develop that idea. So that, that that's yeah, you can you can great. go by your intuition as a coach, and that's you know part of being a good coach is like mm-hmm. knowing the NBA numbers that will kind of translate to college, and then using your intuition to know the difference between you know shooting a a, a post up fadeaway versus a post up jab step shot. You know, like exactly. I don't have yeah. the numbers for that, but based on the NBA stats and based on what I know about basketball, I know yeah. that the jab step shot is going to be better than the fadeaway. So yeah, exactly. Just a exactly. Small example, but uh, but anyway, uh, I'll let you get back. I know you're probably uh relaxing or probably not really relaxing. You're probably getting ready for the next <laughs> series already. But uh, I, I thank you again, and I wish you guys the best of luck, and hopefully, you can find a way to repeat. Because uh, uh, it's going to be tough this year. <laughs> it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. We we got we got to get ready for this next one, and then we'll deal with we'll deal with that later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I appreciate yeah, it, Dave. Yeah. I, I, thanks a lot, and uh, looking forward to seeing you soon. And uh, again, thank you so much for having me on. All right, Dan. Have a good one. All right, take care.